Welcome to the What Do You Do With Your 24 podcast. From 24 Tire, I am Ty Rickstrew, and my guest today is Alex Urban. Alex Urban is a highly successful e-com and internet marketing entrepreneur boasting a six-year career that generating over $30 million in online sales and managing multi-million dollar online advertising budgets. Notably, Alex has served as the CMO for Lions Not Sheep Apparel, leading the company from zero to $20 million in sales in just three years, showcasing his exceptional marketing leadership skills. Currently, Alex heads Pele Jewelry, his own e-commerce venture, highlighting his ongoing entrepreneur prowess. In addition to his business ventures, Alex has spent the past years coaching individuals worldwide, helping them discover their purpose and maximize their potential by optimizing habits and aligning actions with their conscience. Moreover, Alex is a passionate advocate for improving mental health in the entrepreneurial space, reflecting his commitment to the well-being of fellow entrepreneurs. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thank you, man. That's uh, quite the intro. I love it. You like that? <laughs> <laughs> there may have been a little bit of AI help there. I'm not that good. So. <laughs> I love it. I'm a huge proponent of it. So <laughs> Yeah, Absolutely. So I kind of like to start these off with um, kind of a story in a sense of like yep. my interactions with people whenever they get on and like why I wanted to bring you on. Um, and I think one of like the main moments that like I started resonating with you is because like I really don't resonate with like, and I don't know how to say this sometimes, but like with like, I don't want to say not nice people, but like mm -hmm. people that just know what they're about. You know what I mean? And so I know whenever I first saw your social media pages, and whenever you were doing the lines, not sheep and like me, you wanted to find, get into your coaching group. It was like, this guy just knows what he's about and he knows what he's talking about and he has the confidence to go after it. And it's like, this is just who I am. And I think that's one of the main reasons that like I resonate so well. Cause like sometimes people might tell me the same information, but if I almost don't resonate with him on like another personal level, it's hard for me. I don't want to say to accept the information, but to like be like, Oh yeah, I, I feel like this works because it just feels a lot more real so I think that's kind of my take you know just something that I like to say about you so have you noticed that about yourself do you get that a lot or what yeah I appreciate that and yeah I think uh you know for a lot of people online you know they're kind of afraid to be who they are in person um online mm -hmm. everybody kind of feels that they're pressured to have some type of online persona that kind of appeals and appeases to everybody and I think when you try and do that you don't really build a genuine connection with anybody so mm -hmm. for me it's always kind of been like my online persona is extremely similar to my in-person uh, persona I do think everybody is not quite a hundred percent perfect in there but at the same time you know me trying to help people online being a coach being a mentor for so many others and like trying to grow my personal brand and my audience you know I have to put out a persona of like the person that I needed as my hero who helped inspire me through my journey. So, you know, online, there's a lot of uh, stuff that I post. It's very in your face, very, uh, you know, um, uh, things that are very uh, in your face, controversial, sorry, controversial is the word that I'm looking for um, and very direct. And it's like, you know, in person, I'm a little bit more soft-spoken, um, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like a lot of people need that directness in order to kind of like shake them a little bit and be like, hey, wake up, bro. Like life is serious. Like we only get one shot at this. Like we really need to live up and become the greatest version of our, ourselves. And sometimes like that gentle approach just doesn't do it. I know for me personally, through my journey, um, I pretty much give uh, thanks to, or credit everything back to my journey with Andy Frisilla. You know, he his uh, podcast, the MFCEO pro podcast was very much in your face and very much like, direct and that's something that helped light the fire inside of me and then get me to where I am today. So part of it's like, you know, also leaning into a little bit of a persona like that to help inspire others the same way that I receive inspiration myself. But mm -hmm. yeah, just kind of okay. give you a... Awesome. No, I like that. 
Yeah, I actually, I didn't even know about the Andy Frisella podcast for the longest time, and I feel like I kind of got in on it late, but definitely a, a huge one with that style for sure. So what Absolutely. made you want to get into like e-com and internet marketing and all that kind of stuff? Um, to be honest with you, it was uh, really just the freedom that came with it. I mean, I was doing uh, mortgages before I got into e-commerce. A lot of people don't know that, but um, I made a really good amount of money doing mortgages. And one day I remember I was just sitting there staring at the cubicle wall with that gray, horrific <laughs> fabric, you know, that they're all plastered with and listening yep. to the phone ring. And I was like, there's got to be more than life than this man. Like there's got to be way more than life than like getting yelled at on the phone, getting you know, bitched at by underwriters and processors and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, the money's cool and it's great, but like, is the money even worth it if I don't have my freedom? Mm -hmm. And that's where internet marketing, like it kind of was in its very beginning stages, but there started to be some gurus that started pushing out courses saying, Hey, you can make your own uh, $10,000 a month online by doing internet marketing for local businesses. And I was like, you know, that actually sounds like fun. You know, at mm -hmm. that point, like mm -hmm. internet marketing again was still very, very new running ads on Facebook, Instagram was new, you know, Google had its AdWords around for quite a while, but, um, not a lot of businesses were tapping into social yet. You know, everybody knew that they had to have a profile, um, and a handle and everything, but no one really knew how to leverage it. So when I noticed that, I was like, you know what, this is really cool because if I wanted to move to, you know, San Diego or Miami or anywhere like this, as long as a business needs marketing, I can do that for my computer. I'm not ever tied to a location ever again. So a lot mm -hmm. of it was just a transition from, I don't want to be stuck in an office and I want to do something that allows me to move as free as possible. And then also something that has a great earning potential that comes with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what are some, over the years, like what are some of the major trends that you've kind of seen in e-com and marketing? Uh, there's been a lot. Um, the most recent one that I can point out is uh, companies moving to a subscription-based model. I think a lot of people are understanding that ads are getting more and more expensive as time goes by and your first time acquisition of a customer is getting extremely expensive. And like when you're in the business game, you understand that your money is built or your money is made long term and your money is also made in your list. So a lot of businesses are okay with eating a little bit of money up front to acquire a customer because they know that customer will come back and buy like two, three, four or five times, right? However, mm -hmm. now people are starting to understand more and more that it's like if we get you looped into a subscription box or a subscription club or some type of subscription product, now we can squeeze out a lot more profits long term because the margins on it are higher. Your retention rate is usually higher. And especially if you're selling something that's consumable, people are going to need it over and over and over again. So people are uh, very much kind of leaning in towards subscriptions for everything in their house. You know, it doesn't matter if it's your coffee there's underwear subscription, there's deodorant subscription, there's toothpaste and, you know, all your needs. It's like they can all be arriving at your door every single month. And I think people are starting to really kind of buy into that where they're like, hey, I don't have to think about my life. I can literally just sign up for a few subscriptions, have my groceries delivered, have my uh, toiletries delivered, have new mm -hmm. underwear delivered. And it just is creating an ease of life. So I think there's a, a big trend right now in companies that are monetizing on these subscription boxes, whereas before it was kind of just like a a cool little feature of a company mm -hmm. uh, where it used to be very focused on like purchasing one-off products. But I, I totally see that as a new trend that's happening right now. And I, I'm all about it for sure. Do you think that's ever going to like, I mean, I'm sure everything kind of comes to an end and the new hot thing happens, but do you think there's going to come a time where people are like, I'm tired of having $10,000 worth of subscriptions and then kind of cut back and it's going to go back to the old way? 
I don't think they will ever be cut out 100%, but I think it's going to have a few year run of like, what is the most needed products I need to have in my life? And what are the ones I'm willing to spend the money on? And what ones are worth spending the money on? Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to see a lot of people coming in and trying to beat each other out on price. Like, hey, what can I give you for my $20 box compared to Joe down the road's $50 a month box? So value proposition is going to be huge in the in that space you know uh so if you can competitively play in the uh you know packing as much value into your subscription club that you possibly can i think those are going to be the ones that people are going to stick with but um i don't think it'll ever kind of go back i think people are just loving convenience and i don't think convenience is something that we're ever going to move away from you know mm -hmm. it's like I would love to be able to have the experience of going back to a blockbuster video right now and like going and renting a video. I think that's like, to me, I think it's pretty cool, but it's like, it's very convenient that every movie, every TV show, every single video I could possibly want to watch is literally, you know, right here in my pocket now or on my TV. But I don't think a business like that will revive even if people are looking for experiences instead of convenience. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're just going to keep evolving that way. All right. I like that. I mean, I mean, I feel like it makes sense. I, I know that people always say like history always kind of repeats itself and like we kind of will just obviously with like fashion trends people do one thing and then it comes back around eventually so I'm guessing it's probably going to be kind of a similar thing so whenever it gets into um I, I know that you had a jewelry brand before LNS and then now you have Pele with mm -hmm. all the online sales you've done millions of dollars what do you think like a common trend if there is one or tactics or strategies that you've used across all the all the platforms you've done to get to those results what do you think like the common denominator would be the common one is definitely building a unique offer for your company um, I think no matter what company what industry what type of products you're trying to sell as long as you have a very unique proposition a unique offer to sell people that's where you can really get traction and you can really start scaling your brand out. Um, so I wouldn't really call that a trend, but I'd call that like a core pillar of something that you need to always grow and build a business. Mm -hmm. um, especially if you're like growing a business where let's say you don't, I don't recommend it, but you don't want to be uh, the face of the brand. You want to kind of be behind the scenes. Like I feel like brands right now, <clears throat> more than ever, they need a very, very strong personal brand leading it because it just gives you that much more rocket fuel to pour into your business. Mm -hmm. um, but if no one knows who you are, no one knows who your company is, the only way that you can really attract customers is going to be a very, very good offer and a unique offer that most people have not seen. So if you can build something like that, that's going to help a ton. I think the other thing too is more than ever, it's like we need to truly build a brand that people who don't know you can immediately know, like, and trust right off the bat. And you can do that through having amazing digital assets, like very, very good photography, very good videography, very good social presence. Those things really help build up in the buyer's mind that you're a million dollar brand, even if they, even if you haven't sold a single dollar worth of products before. Mm -hmm. So having a very strong and um, aesthetic online presence, I feel like helps you a ton. And then you pair that with an offer and pretty much you can make any business work at, at, at that point. Um, there's other little sub, sub segments on top of that, but I think those two are the most important things that you can plug into your brand. Yeah. And I feel like not having good content is just kind of not a good excuse nowadays just because I feel nope. like it's so easily accessible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what are, what is your thoughts? I know in your coaching group, we've, you've talked about it. Um, and I know I've mentioned it to you as well. Like what is your thoughts when it comes to organic posting versus running ads? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, 
no matter what, we don't ever want to share or shy away from organic posts. Um, organic posts, if you can figure out and if you can really crack the code on organic content, you will literally have a floodgate that'll be open that will never be able to be stopped and your business will have so many profits. It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be fantastic for the growth of your business, right? However, if you are having trouble getting started by producing good organic content that's shareable, that's, you know, a style that can go viral, then paid ads are a great way to get you in front of the right customers. Um, I think no matter what, no matter what stage of business you're in, whether you're day one or your day 1000 on your business that you should always be running ads to your audience. Um, you know, people who've liked with like your posts, interacted with your posts, engage with your brand. That's some very, very easy traffic to scrape up into sales uh, with doing like some basic retargeting ads. But other than that too, it's like business at the end of the day, it all starts with like customer acquisition, right? So it's like, if we don't acquire a customer for the first time, we don't have a, the rest of our business. So sometimes the only way to do that is through paid marketing, but I think more than ever, especially right now, is that people need to be putting their time, attention, um, and energy into their organic marketing efforts on top of pairing that with paid ads. So definitely do both. They're both extremely important, but organic, I think, is getting more important by the day. Yeah, I believe that. I feel like the, the days, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the days are kind of like a one-click conversion of just like, random stuff because i feel like people just think everything's spam nowadays too like if you see something even if it's a solid ad they're like is this even a real website if i click on this yep. and give my information am i going to get hacked absolutely absolutely <laughs> and that's where like the importance of building a very strong brand across the board is like just in so incredibly important mm -hmm. you know in the early days like when i started e-commerce um you could literally throw up the most basic mock-up on the most basic site something a kindergartner literally could have built and people <laughs> are buying from it Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who took advantage of that, yeah. made a lot of money, yeah. scammed a lot of people. <laughs> people understood that they're getting dropship products from China, which took like four to eight weeks to get to them. And they just like the level of distrust continued to grow and grow and grow more and more. Mm -hmm. And what happened with that is now people are very aware when they see an ad, if they don't see it as a company that looks credible right off the bat, even just from your ad, you know what I mean? Is that that right there can determine the path of your business, whether it's like for the good or bad. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very important to uh, just have a brand that stands out, that looks trustable, uh, respectable, and have that as a first initial impression on someone. And then you can probably get those little first initial conversion clicks. But uh, yeah, you can't have yeah. something that was looks like it was yeah. thrown together by a kindergartner anymore. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go rework my website now. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I feel like you have a super, I know from being in your coaching group, it's been super helpful because I feel like a lot of the guys that are talking online and stuff, they, they've already done it, right? I try to post on my content at least to be like, hey, I haven't necessarily done it yet, but I'm doing it. And these are the things that I'm doing that are working. These are the things that, I'm, that I did that didn't work. And I feel like getting in on your coaching group when you were still at LNS versus now you're launching Pele. And being able to see that grow from the bottom up, but knowing that you have the knowledge you have and like the background, I feel like it's super invaluable. But my question is, is like when it comes in from working on a company that has millions of dollars in ad spend and a budget to kind of launching your own thing and kind of just starting over, what has been the biggest hurdle to jump to be able to kind of do that? And do you think if you had 
a million dollars handed to you just to be able to spin on ads with no repercussions from it if you would go straight to Facebook ads or what, what would you kind of do with that? Uh, yeah, great question. So the biggest hurdle that I feel that we have is just not having the data in the list, right? So it's like so much of the money that you make and that's reinvested into a business to continue to grow is made through your email marketing efforts, SMS marketing efforts, um, and really the following and the tribe of people that you buy. You know, when you're running such a large brand, even if you were to turn off the ads, people are still buying every single day. You're still mm. still able to send an email out to like three, 400,000 people. SMS goes out to 200,000 people. And it's like, you can make a lot of, lot of money um, just off your list. You know what I mean? And that money is really cool because it's like, we send out a few blasts, get a bunch of profit, like tens of thousands of dollars of profit. Mm -hmm. And now I can like, fuck around with that money. I yeah. can really like play with new things, new tools and whatnot. And it's like the <clears throat> repercussions of like spending money on something that might not work isn't as severe as like when it's coming out of your own account or those funds aren't there. So really like starting, a, starting building your customer base and your list from the ground up, that's definitely been the biggest hurdle. Um, because when you're growing it from the ground up too, what you don't really realize is that there's different types of customers depending on the types of marketing that you're putting out there that will get on your list. And just because you have a thousand people on an email list doesn't mean that there are quality 1000 people on your email list. Mm -hmm. You know, we learned this mm -hmm. with lions.sheep is that like we had some giveaways that were like, Hey, we're going to give away a thousand dollar gift card. Um, all you need to do is give us your email. And the amount of emails we got was like mind boggling. Right. But we segmented them out into their own audience and we send out a, a email to them. And it's like, these people would never, ever, ever give us a dollar right so it's mm -hmm. like you have to be very considerate on how you are actually acquiring the list uh, of customers or the list of people who are potentially interested in your brand um because you know when you're building that list i rather have qual or, uh, quality over quantity every single day mm -hmm. so you got to be cautious about that but the more data you can get the more of a list that you can get built the easier it's going to be to build your business but other than that like um i think with everything that i know going into building this business it's been much easier to build because it's like we're working in an industry that the profit margins are way way more wide open um you know logistically it's much easier of a business to run and on top of that it's more of an impulse buy um directed towards females you know mm -hmm. females will always buy females women they'll always buy jewelry that's like a very impulse buy for them um you know versus apparel it's like that's something that you actually have to put on and wear every day so you have to be very proud of what the message is on the shirt that what it stands for or what it represents so it's like a different marketing psychology that goes into each separate brand but this one um i like to tell people it's like there's different levels of difficulty when building online businesses and i think to me it's like i've done jewelry for so long that i understand that it's like one of the easiest brands to build strictly because it's like low storage volume insane margins high demand you know i mean very easy logistically Whereas like t-shirts, it's like the margins are very low. And then again, it's like, what's crazy is even with Lions Not Cheap, we had some designs. You think after, you know, $20 million for the customer data that we could forecast what size t-shirts to buy. <laughs> Literally, you can't. No matter what you do, you cannot figure out the exact ratio of what sizes you need to buy. Because there's some designs that sell to a larger audience compared to some designs that s sell to a smaller audience size, mm. you know, size wise. So, you know, that's kind of a more medium difficulty business where something that might be a very extreme difficulty business would be something like uh, my friend Ryan, he used to sell kettlebells. Logistically, that's a nightmare because of the amount of money people have to pay for shipping. 
your margins are low, you know what I mean? Having to have your employees carry around 70 pound dumbbells all day, like it's a nightmare. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's that. And then the second question, um, I totally spaced that. What was the second question that you were if you, asking? If you were just like given a million dollars, what's like kind of oh, yeah. repercussions of what happened? Oh, a hundred percent, man. Yeah. If you, if you were to have a million dollars and were able to throw it at a business, I would, uh, I would definitely put a lot of money into Facebook, Instagram ads. I'd put a lot of money into, uh, influencers and content creators. Um, and I feel like, you know, if you spent half a million bucks on influencers and content creators to create you some really badass content, um, I'd put the other 500 into Facebook, Instagram, and possibly a little bit into TikTok, but that's how I'd run with it. Awesome. Do you think it's important to have everything work together? So like, instead of just dialing in on one thing and just doing just Facebook ads, do you think it's important to have email, SMS, Facebook, organic posting, and just have it all work together? Or is, could you do it with just one thing uh in order to again that's going to determine on the difficulty of how you want to build your business when you have Mm -hmm. everything in sync it makes it much easier you know when i know that someone comes to my website and uh you know it they're coming off of a facebook ad that they've seen but they drop their email and they sign up for my sms club the fact that i have those running in the background makes my chances of converting them much 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 higher however if i didn't have a pop-up collecting sms or email it's, you know, all I'm relying on is a Facebook machine at the end of the day to have them uh, purchase my product and give me some money. So I think it's very, very important to have your entire ecosystem working flawlessly uh, within itself in order to grow a business that's, you know, doesn't stress you out of your mind 24 seven. If you're just strictly relying on Facebook ads and nothing else, no email, no SMS, no um, affiliate program, no ambassador program, no Google ads, no nothing else. It's like, you're literally waking up every single day. You're a performance marketer at that point, and you're looking at your, you know, your ads, and you're like, "Did we make money or do we lose money today?" And that's an extremely stressful state mm-hmm. to be in, especially when you're growing a business. So I want to talk about your current venture with Pele and what inspired you to start that, and what sets it apart in the market. Yeah, for sure. So Pele was actually inspired to me. I was out in uh, Maui uh, right before I left Lions Not Sheep, and I just like really enjoyed the. The lifestyle of people out there and I've always kind of been in the more spiritual realm of life believing in like you know energies and frequencies and the universe and all these things like I am religious to a degree but I definitely say I'm more spiritual so mm-hmm. understanding the jewelry game and understanding the spirituality side of it and then kind of seeing the um you know the vibes out there in Maui I was like this is something that I want to build into a brand and so I kind of like married everything together the um the energies from the crystals and then we married together obviously the jewelry you know put the crystals into jewelry and then on top of that with my knowledge and background being in jewelry that's where i decided to form it now what separates it from the uh from uh the other marketplace is our subscription box that's something that i want to put a huge focus into is that every single month there's different astrological events going on whether it's mercury going into retrograde or saturn going into this phase or the moon going into that phase i was like you know what every single month if you're a believer in this spiritual world there's different energies that are going on every single month so how can we build a box that gives you crystals that radiate energy that help protect you or amplify or um you know i mean uh work with these energies that are happening in the universe and you get that every single month so that's something that i wanted to do and then create a special experience within the box where they get like some accessories, some tarot cards, um, and really just make it like an experience for people. So I think a lot of people are out there just slinging, you know, bracelets that are just kind of like, oh, this one's cool or this, this and that. And I'm like, I'm trying to align what I know this niche 
is so passionate about, which is ener you know, energetical alignment with crystals, which I know they love in a jewelry vessel. So that's kind of a, the thought behind the brand. Okay. That's awesome. What, ha what has kind of been the biggest, um, struggle with kind of getting it launched and getting it going other than just the time? Honestly, the, the hardest part was the initial products trying to figure out like, mm. what's our product line? Like, it's very interesting, but when you have infinite amount of crystals that you can use and an infinite amount of combinations on how you can put those into bracelets and like just so many different, uh, ways that you can construct the products together. It's like, what do we even launch with, man? Do I launch with bracelets? Do I launch with necklaces? Do I launch with this? Do I launch with like, what do we have? What's our main product line? What's our core products? And eventually we dwindled it down um, into bracelets. Bracelets are like our, our number one seller. We do bracelets and malas right now. We now just started selling some earrings and some necklaces as well. Um, but at first it was just like, bro, what do I even like? What do people even care to wear? You know what I mean? It's jewelry. It's like, I know it. I know in the past, and that's again, from my past experience, I knew bracelets worked well. And so that's kind of where we focused on those. But it's really interesting when you have so many infinite possibilities and you're like, I want to make this. Like, even if you were to start a cookie company, for example, I know they're like huge here in Utah, but it's like, okay, I'm going to go start a cookie company. What flavor are you going to start with? You know what I mean? Are you going to make them um, like thick cookies or thin cookies or big cookies or small cookies? Or, you know, do you want gluten-free cookies or vegan cookies? Or that? It's like even something as basic as that with the amount of possibilities you have is very hard to construct like a core product line from the beginning. But that probably took us the most time. And then what was actually interesting is that when we launched, uh, we'd launched with bracelets that have eight millimeter beads on them. And uh, everybody wasn't too much of a fan of the eight millimeter bead size. So we had to switch to a four millimeter bead size and people started, they loved those and that started taking off. So even what we thought would be a good initial product launch ended up going out to the marketplace. We got a bunch of feedback and now we were kind of able to dial in our, um, our product line and now it's running much better. But yeah, it was really interesting just looking at the infinite possibilities and being like, shit, how do we stitch something together to just yeah. launch with? How to, but, yeah. yeah, and I feel like part of, part of that might be too is just like also kind of wanted to make it more simple for the consumer to be able to just make a purchase instead of like being able to go to like a drop down and have like 6,000 options of what they can pick and how they can go together. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you said us. Do you have a team? Uh, yeah. So right now it's, I mean, it's mainly me who's running the company, but I have my sister and my friend's girlfriend who are making the jewelry. Um, I have a graphic designer, a VA, um, and I have a few friends that are kind of helping me with some marketing things kind of on and off, but, um, awesome. you know, a very, very small team. We're just running it literally out of my basement downstairs. And, yeah. um, yeah. it's been, it's been fun, man. It's been fun to kind of go back to like the core roots of like building a business that again, like you said, doesn't have like millions of dollars worth of data or ads or budget it's like it's fun to go back to the og way of like growing a business and like how do we get creative how do we spread our money as far as possible you know it's like oh, yeah. i put yeah. a set amount of money in, in the account and i like let all the employees i'm like look here's the amount of money that we have in the account like if it hits zero then we're we're going to be done but it's like we're mm -hmm. not so it's like it's very interesting to go from that like hey we have a budget from oh whatever you need just put the credit card in <laughs> yeah because yeah. <laughs> i I love that though. Like, I think I love the idea of like being able to start stuff. Cause I feel like it's so hard and I'm sure you're the same way. Um, but like with my marketing company, whenever we get in with a company that already has an audience, it's, mm -hmm. I feel like it's so easy. Like you just sell Super them, like you just start doing certain things, <laughs> dialing it in. And a lot of these guys build these huge audiences and they don't even know how they did it or what to do with it to be able to leverage it, but they have yep. it. And then once we, we like plug into it, then it's just super easy. So that's why I always tell people, I'm like, I feel like building the audience is the hardest part. It is a hundred percent. 
Yeah, and it's crazy. It's like your first, honestly, I think your first $100,000 in sales is the hardest part. After mm -hmm. that, it's so easy, man. It is so easy to scale a business from 100,000 to 10 million. It's like, it's almost not even funny. Cause yeah. like almost no matter what you do at that point, if you plug in the right things, like you're gonna win and you're gonna succeed. But again, it's like, when I don't have that customer list, when I don't have that data, when I don't know the products that work, when I don't know the offers that work, like that's where most people fail and give up. And I understand it cause it's like, it's painful to try and figure those things out. But once you do figure it out, you know, the rest is super easy. So I'm glad that you, uh, you see that the same way. Yeah, absolutely. I, when, when do you think, uh, if there is, when do you think the time to give up and quit happens versus just to keep pushing through? That's a great question. I think it's very dependent on each person's personal, uh, level of what, how, how much stress they want to handle. Um, you know, I mean, whether that's financial stress or mental stress, it's like everybody has their threshold. I think, and this is what's really hard is that it, again, I think it has to be up to the individual because everybody's going to have a personal preference. Everybody's going to have that moment where they want to quit, but no matter what, if you continue to operate and keep doing the right thing over long enough time, something will work. You will figure it out. So I like to tell people, I'm like, look, no matter what you have, no matter what business you're in, no matter what product you're selling, eventually with enough time, energy and money, it will work out. You know what I mean? Your business will succeed as long as you keep taking the right steps day after day after day after day. However, if you notice and catch yourself slipping and making the wrong decisions, like for months or years on end, and you're like, why is this not working? I'm three years in and I've lost, you know, 250 grand. Then I'd be like, okay, maybe it's time to reevaluate and start yeah. from scratch. Cause mm -hmm. there is a certain point in business where unfortunately you've made enough bad decisions that they've compounded so much that you can no longer save the business. And I think it's, it's unfortunate, but some people do need to wake up to that reality that they made too many poor decisions that they can't like the brand is unrevivable now. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's best to just kind of close up shop, save that money and put it into a new venture. And even if it was your baby, just under like, take the, take the mistakes and turn them into lessons, understand what you did that may have unfortunately killed that business and use that to leverage in your new business to not make those same mistakes. And you'll more than likely have a, a you know, much better success that way. Yeah. I like that. I like that's good advice. Um, speaking of advice, what made you want to start becoming a coach and creating a group? And then I, now I know you're doing this, this one-on-one -on -one coaching. I understand people paying you a monthly fee and all that stuff, but like there's definitely more to it. Um, and kind of what, what made you want to do that and kind of what's the most rewarding part out of that as well? Yeah. You know, I was, I originally started, um, coaching quite a few years ago and it was something that I just, I feel like I didn't really have enough credibility, even though I'd you know, had a pretty good success for myself up to that point. I didn't really have enough credibility where I felt like I could truly help people and I didn't have the personal brand or the reach to get people in. And so it was kind of discouraging, but, uh, at Lions Not Sheep, like I was, I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life over at Lions Not Sheep. And then mm -hmm. something was just like, it felt like it was missing. And I was like, you know, this like sucks. Like I hate sharing and flaunting to all these people that were winning and were succeeding and everything. And it's like, I feel like I'm, it's very uh, selfish of me to keep all this to myself. Right. And so that's when I originally started my coaching group, which is kind of my first real attempt to getting into coaching. And it was crazy as I launched it and I had like 120 people sign up on day one, which I was like, I remember like thinking like, oh, if I only get like 20 people in here, like this will be so good. This will be amazing. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> um, but when I opened that, like, A, I was really surprised at the amount of support that I'd received from everybody. But also on top of that, as I started doing the coaching calls, I was like, you know what? 
what's more fulfilling than like building my own business and making my own money is helping people do that same thing. It's kind of like, I like to relate this to people in like a more personal way. It's like, if you've ever flown first class, you remember what it was like that first time that you upgraded your seat in flow in flow first class, right? Now, imagine all you do now is fly first class. It gets boring. There's no experience in it. It's the same shit. You show up at the airport, get in the front of the plane, take off, cool. That's it, right? But then what happens when you take your friend who's never flown first class and you bring them with you and you, you know, pay for their seat and they sit right next to you. Mm-hmm. There's something fulfilling and so special about like showing that person that experience for the first time or helping open their eyes to that whole new world at the same time. And that's something that I've just, I've loved that feeling of. It feels like so fulfilling to be able to like help people or give them an experience for the first time or show them something's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like I didn't have a lot of that in my life, unfortunately, um, until like the last probably two, three years. Um, but I just love giving back to people. I think it's one of the most fulfilling things in the world. And then I slowly noticed too, that it's like, I would literally show up to work drained as can be after a day. Like I was just sitting in my office with my big ass monitors and all these data dashboards and analytics and all this shit going on. And I just left the office and I'm like, bro, I'm like fucking fried. Like my, I don't want to do anything. I'd go home and just drink, smoke some weed, whatever I could do and just like pass out and redo the day. And I'm like, that's not really, you know, a way worth living life. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, what energizes me? And what I real, what I recognize is that every single time I got on a coaching call and I was like helping somebody, I'd get off the call and I'd be like, fuck, like, let's do this again. Like, mm-hmm. I was like a little kid, like just wanting to go on a roller coaster ride again and again and again. And I was like, why am I not doing more of that? You know what I mean? And then, I mean, besides like the financial monetization aspect of it, it was like, why am I filling my day with stuff that just absolutely drains me? Why am I going to sit in front of a computer and play Shopify all day? Like, it is fun, don't get me wrong. To me, it's like a video game in a way. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? <laughs> yep. I'm like, why am I going to spend eight, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a day staring at a laptop screen playing Shopify when I could spend less time doing that and more time helping people and feeling more fulfilled, more full of energy, happier. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, if my last day was today, it's like, I'm so grateful in my heart that I was able to help with my experience, help other people grow. And that to me is more rewarding than any other, you know, materialistic item that I could purchase or live with. And I just, I don't want to uh, be on this journey alone. I feel like it's better to have people along the way with me. And so that's kind of where I started diving into the coaching and uh, taking that a lot more serious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all. I feel like people always just have this idea as well of like how, how something is for someone, especially when you like, when you're posting on social media and stuff, this, I mean, this just goes mm-hmm. to my theory that like social media for the most part, isn't real. You can try to be super real, but I feel like at the end of the day, a lot of people still don't know what's really going on. And mm-hmm. I would say the same thing, like on your Instagrams or whatever, it's like, Oh man, that looks like great. It looks fun. Um, but I mean, like I look at data a lot and I'm like, this sucks. Like he can't be having yeah. that much fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> But then getting into it, I know you've emphasized your commitment to like wanting to uh, improve mental health in the entrepreneurial space and everything. What kind of has spearheaded that and what what exactly do are your beliefs on improving mental health, but also around hustle culture in general? Yeah, see, the thing is, I love hustle culture, man. Like mm-hmm. I had been doing this internet marketing e-commerce game for like almost coming up on seven years now, right? And it's like, it has been the most funnest journey of my entire life, you know, but there is a time and there's been multiple times where I've kind of gone up and down on the roller coaster, but there's been times where it's like, it's black Friday. Like, dude, I'm literally like chopping up fucking Adderall on the kitchen counter and snorting it and staying up all night, running ads, Mm -hmm. making money, 
you know, literally the middle of Black Friday night, we're heading to the strip club and the club, buying bottles, getting drunk, going back, waking up, taking more Adderall, <laughs> running more ads. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, mm. it's a crazy fucking lifestyle. And I think to a degree, like a part of me is like, dude, I'm so grateful for those experiences. Like I love having it, but there comes a point in the evolution of the hustle culture where it's like, you need to really start taking your health seriously. You need to start, start taking your mental health seriously. And you need to make sure that whatever you're doing, no matter how much money that it's paying you is that it's aligning with like who you're ultimately meant to be. And you know, the greatest version of yourself that is yet to become, I think, uh, you know, when I was at Lions Not Sheep, I loved it and I was making a lot of money and like things were great, but it got to a point where it's like, dude, I, I got to like the darkest mental state that I've ever been in my entire life. I would literally like wake up in the middle of the night with like panic attacks, anxiety attacks. I literally have like cold sweats. I'd be shaking. I'd be nervous. My heart would be racing. Like, and then I wake up every day and it's like, I was so anxious that I felt completely disassociated from reality. And at that point I was like, what is this all worth, man? You know what I mean? I was like, is this even worth going on another day? Cause like it got to a point where I was like, I do not want to live my life another day like this anymore. I went to a, I went to Maui to try and reset, you know, a few weeks before I quit Lions on Sheep. And what's so interesting is I, I was sitting out there on the beach and I just, I finally felt happiness again. And it felt, it feels weird to say, but like when you're so overstimulated 24 seven, you almost forget what it feels like to be happy again and just mm-hmm. at peace and grounded. And when I was out there sitting on the beach and I was like, bro, I would literally go home. I'd sell all my cars, get rid of my place, sell the 200 plus pairs of shoes that I own that everybody's looking up to the Rolexes, the watches, all this shit. Like I'd get rid of all of it tomorrow if I could just experience this another day. And that hit me and I was like, fuck, that's probably a sign that I shouldn't go back. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so that's where I was like, I made the decision where I'm like, okay, I'm no longer going to do this. And then I had to do some soul searching. And what I found out is that my conscious for the longest time has been telling me exactly what it is that I need to do. It told me that I need to work less. I need to work on things that I'm more passionate about, but also told me I need to start taking care of my body. I need to take my health seriously. I need to take what I eat seriously. I need to take what I put into my body seriously. For the longest time, I like told myself, I was like, I need to stop drinking. I need to stop drinking. I need to stop drinking. And like, I kept seeing videos, stuff would pop up on my feed. And I just like something about it just keep kept itching at me. And what I didn't know is that like, that was something that I needed to do to evolve as a person. And so like when I started listening to my conscious and tapping into it and doing what it was telling me to do, all of a sudden I started feeling full of life again. And it was really weird because I stopped drinking. I started working out every day. I started hitting my macros every single day, started fulfilling my day with things that actually fulfilled me instead of drain me. And I was like, bro, like I feel alive again. I feel happy again. Like Mm -hmm. the glow that I had is coming back and evil, like, the overwhelming amount of messages that I've received from people saying like, Alex, you look alive again, bro. Like you got your glow back. It's like, that is the most beautiful and most amazing, you know, a comment or compliment that I could possibly get. And it's like, it took a lot to get there, but you know, to people out there in the hustle culture, I think you just, you can't neglect what your conscious is telling you to do. And if you do that long enough, it's going to take you down a dark fucking path. I truly believe that it's like the only reason that there are negative emotions like anxiety, depression, stress, those only come when it's your conscious telling you like, motherfucker, you're not doing the right thing. Like mm-hmm. you are so unaligned. When you get into alignment and you're running off of a high frequency, those negative states, they no longer can even be possible to live in. Like I can't remember last time that I've had anxiety in the last two months. There's been no, I've not waken up in the middle of the night with an anxiety attack. I felt more at peace and grounded than ever. I felt so mentally clear lately. And I think it's because, again, I'm aligned now. And I think a lot of people, they fall off of alignment because they 
get an identity formed around who they are and they're refusing to give it up. But it's like, it's going to compound and the universe is going to tell you in one way, shape, form or another. And unfortunately, a lot of it, you know, is going to be screaming at your face in the, in the way of like going down a dark mental hole that you really wish you could get out of. So pay attention to that, man. Like those are mental health is a real thing. And I think uh, if you're in a dark place right now, you really need to consider, you know, what you're doing right now, if it's truly what you want to do. And, uh, you know, there's probably some serious changes that you need to make, but the voice is already in your head telling you what you need to do. So you just need to trust it. Absolutely. I, I saw that you stopped drinking and, uh, I went to Florida, was it last month? Um, and I was like, you know what? Cause I just have some health things that I'm trying to hit like certain weight. Cause back in like 2018, I lost a bunch of weight and now I just basically focused on initially losing weight. And then I wanted to get as strong as possible. And then it was like, I don't care how strong I am, but if I can deadlift a Fiat, that's all I really care about. Yeah. And now I'm kind of <laughs> switching, I'm switching again to be like, I want to focus on like just feeling good and actually being healthy and not just being pumped full of caffeine and smelling Absolutely. salts and you know what I mean? And going and just yeah. doing my thing. And so now I stopped drinking and I, and someone asked me the other day, they're like, well, when are you going to start up again? And I was like, I, I don't know. Like I never really told myself like I'm stopping for good or there's a certain time limit or anything. I just said like today I'm not drinking and tomorrow I'm not drinking. Don't know if I'll ever do it again, but it's just mm-hmm. so weird how the thing that like I used to love to do was like, at the end of an evening, grab a whiskey and a cigar, go sit on my patio and just enjoy hanging out. And, and I started to realize like the stuff, the thing that I liked so much, there was a, there was a reason I was doing that, but almost like my subconscious, like I didn't realize why I was doing it. It was to have that like feeling of the alcohol or whatever it was to have that kind of escape in a way. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's uh, that's one of the things that started messing with my mind uh, towards the end, right before I made the decision. Is someone challenged me? They're like, "I want you to change the narrative every time you take a drink. I want you to ask yourself, what am I numbing myself from?" Mm-hmm. And what was so fucking interesting, man, is I'd be at dinners or I'd be like out in the middle of the day, like having a drink or you know at night having a glass of whiskey and a cigar, and like I kept asking myself that, and it started to bother the shit out of me because it made me like reveal some truths that I was not ready to face. Mm-hmm. And then like, once I changed the narrative on that, I was like, this just isn't what it used to be. Like, I'm not going to lie, dude, growing up drinking, I had the time of my life. Like there's so many yeah. memories that I'm <laughs> like, dude, I love that I had these memories and these experiences, but it's really interesting. Cause as I've gotten older, drinking isn't fun anymore. It's mm-hmm. no longer what it used to be. It's now exactly what you said. It's like an escape. It's yeah. numbing. It's like something to pull you away. And you know, I was like, I was the same thing. I was like, Oh, maybe I'll stop for a year. Maybe I'll stop for six months. But like after the time that I've been sober now, I'm like, I don't even know if I want to go back, man. Like it almost makes me like feel disgusted thinking about drinking, like Mm -hmm. just that state of mind. I'm like, I don't want to be in that low frequency state again. Like I like this glow, this vibe, this energy. And what's crazy is I put myself in a lot of situations where I normally would be drinking at parties or whatever. Like I almost booked a ticket to Oktoberfest, which is like the world's drinking convention, (laughs) you know what I mean? In Germany. But I'm like, I don't even want to go there to drink. I just want to go there to have fun. And a lot of the things that drinking was masking have like come back into my life and I feel so much more full. It's, it's crazy. But again, it's, it's up to everybody. It's a personal choice, but you know, it's a choice that I made and I'm grateful for it. And the outcome has been nothing less than spectacular for me. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'm the same way. Like I didn't even really mean to do it. I just kind of started doing it. One thing that has always been at the back of my mind though, something that I do is especially with this like podcast is like, you know, just have some whiskey and start drinking. But then I feel like after a couple, you start having a really good conversation and that's happened to me several times. Like you start having a couple drinks, you get a little loose and you start having incredible conversations. Or I would start like 
making connections after having a drink or two. And I'm like, why can't I do this sober? Why do I have to have a drink or two at a social event, a networking event or whatever to loosen up and be able to have these connections or make those, have those great conversations? Like, I feel like I should be able to do these sober. And I feel like that's part mm-hmm. of the challenge I'm doing as well is like making sure that like, if I'm going to ever start drinking again, whatever it might be, not that I would even get drunk all the time, but it was just like one or two just to get a little loose. Can I still do it sober? You know, can I still have the conversations without just being quiet and not bringing up stuff up? Yeah, hundred percent. And that's something that I've like found a lot has to do with like confidence. And what's really interesting is like, I felt like I didn't have confidence, especially even like go up and talk to a chick unless I had a few drinks in me. And you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You're kind of sedated at that point where you don't even give a fuck. And it's like, you know, you <laughs> had liquid courage, right? Yep, absolutely. What's interesting is like after, after stopping drinking for long enough, it's like, I'm more confident than I am drunk when I am sober now. It's very interesting. The mindset shift that's done, but also like just, I mean, uh, you know, from my perspective as well, it's like to kind of get in that flow state because I completely understand that. To me, it's like going and smashing a good workout or going and sit in the sauna, doing a cold plunge, like right before something, uh, you know, that I need to be very on point for. It helps put you in that flow state tremendously. So you just need to find those little flow state triggers. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think you can find those without having to, you know, have the booze in your way. Yeah. I love that. What do you do to maintain a healthy work life and, uh, but also still needing to be in that face, fast paced entrepreneur world? Mm-hmm. Um, really right now, uh, the most important thing that I've found is, uh, making time for yourself and having a non-negotiable list, right? So like my non-negotiable list, no matter what, is I have to get my workout in every single day. I have to read every single day. I have to hit my macros every single day and I have to stay sober. And I've understand that like the easiest way to do that and make sure that it gets done is having it on a routine. And so I personally, like, I don't start working until like 11 o'clock, sometimes 12 o'clock every single day, because I take my mornings very seriously. I eat my food. I work out, cold plunge, sauna, read, get ready for the day. Then it's like come 11, 12 o'clock, like now I'm ready to go for the day. And I've told myself, like, I don't, it doesn't matter if I work till 5 p.m. or if I work till, you know, three in the morning, I allow myself to work as late as possible, but only if I selfishly give myself the time in the morning that I need to get done what I need to. Because if I can't serve myself, then I can't give my full self to others. So I've refused like take meetings in the morning, to take appointments in the morning, to do anything that disrupts that morning routine because it has become like so sacred to me that I understand the power of like a strong morning routine. It sets a presence for me the entire rest of the day. But I'm like, hey, if I can be selfish with my, you know, first few hours in the morning, um, the rest of the day, you know, if I'm working again until 3 a.m., it doesn't matter. It's, I'm just, I, I got to protect my morning, man. But other than that, it's like free for all, man. It's kind of hard because I'm doing so much shit every single day that it's like <laughs> all over the place. But after yeah. that, you know, the initial morning has to be so protected. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I've actually started that as well. Basically, like before noon, it's like I don't schedule anything. That's kind of my morning to either. Exactly. For me, a little bit of it is also for like uh, a little bit of like legion in a way like i try to like i get my morning done but then i just try to focus on just like reaching out to people and doing kind of my morning list and then in the evening can be client fulfillment and all those kind of things what are you what kind of uh books or mentors have had kind of the most biggest impact on your career or your personal development that's a great question i like to again i like to attribute everything really back to andy um at the end of the day because it's like his his podcast is the first podcast that I ever listened to. And I was like, yo, I resonate with this. Like, this is something that I, I see eye to eye on. This is something that I vibe with. It made me feel like I wasn't so alone because like I literally grew up and I was like 
bullied. I pr- pretty much failed school. I was like, I couldn't even get accepted into colleges. Like it was very rough upbringing, but I knew that there was something inside of me that like, I just wanted someone to see. And so like a lot of his content helped me so tremendously much. However, as I, if we're talking about like coaches and mentors and stuff like that, I feel like with coaches and mentors, the right coach or mentor will approach you during the right chapter in life. And the coaches and mentors that you have now are probably not going to be there forever, but they're going to be for the, there for you during that stage that you need them to be, right? So it's like, um, for me, Andy's always kind of been a coach since day one. And again, that's why I attribute him back to there. Um, he's worked, Tim Grover, I haven't worked with him like personally, but his coaching programs and his books like help tremendously with mindset stuff. Um, and then lately I've been working with a guy named Wes Watson and he's like been absolutely phenomenal to work with as a coach. Um, so I think, you know, really that three and that trifecta, they've helped me so tremendously much throughout life. It's been amazing. Yeah. So part of the, my, my brand 24 tire, obviously the podcast being called, what do you do if you're 24? I always like to ask people. So like you told us a little bit, um, about like what you physically do with your 24 hours a day, but what would you urge the listeners of the 24 hour podcast to do? with theirs um i would suggest to anybody listening to this is that you gotta again you gotta listen to your conscious man you gotta listen to what your conscious is telling you to do because if you don't do that the amount of mental space that's being sucked out of you every single day to worry about the extra 20 30 pounds that you got around your waistline or how shitty you feel like because you just say something that you know you shouldn't have or you know, you know, every single day that you didn't drink your water, you didn't read, you didn't wake up early. It's like that can mentally consume you so much to a point where you're almost paralyzed in life. So no matter what it is that you're doing, like if your conscious is telling you, Hey, you need to get your fat ass in shape, start taking working out very seriously. Start taking what you're eating very seriously. If you're like, Hey, I'm tired. Like I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And you're like pumping your, you know, your body full of like caffeine and monsters and all these energy drinks, like maybe take some time to like seriously look at what it is that's actually causing you to crash energetically um, and pay attention to that. And I think once you, again, start listening to your conscious and you start aligning yourself the right way, you're going to start living in a frequency which you feel so much more full of life and so much more mentally clear because you don't have those things in the back of your mind nagging at you 24-7. I know how uncomfortable it is to be walking around, you know, 40 pounds overweight when I'm in Maui and everybody's taking their shirts off and I'm too uncomfortable to take my own shirt off like that fucking eats at you mentally, bro. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't want my day consumed by that. So Mm -hmm. it's very hard to change. It sucks. I know a lot of people don't want to do it, but it's way harder living in that frequency every single day where you're just eating yourself alive. So no matter what you do in your 24 hours, like take care of your mind, take care of your body, because the more clarity you can get, the more energy you'll have and the more full of life that you'll be. So stop stop neglecting the things that you know you need to do. That's probably my biggest recommendation for people. I love that. So what's what's next with Alex? Uh, next is just, I just wanna help more people, man. Honestly, like uh, the jewelry company is almost at a point where it's turned into like a hobby project and I'm like, okay, I just want to, uh, I'm gonna grow that slowly. I'm gonna test out a bunch of things that I've never been able to test out with and with my businesses in the past, but most importantly, like I want to help more people. I want to reach more people. I want to have help people, especially people who are in the entrepreneur space who are like reaching that point where they're like, look, bro, I have everything, but like my mental health is dog shit. Like I want to help pull them out of that hole and help them feel alive again. I want to help people like truly live a life that's worth living. I think that to me is like, that's my calling right now. Awesome. That's great. Where can people find you? 
Uh, Instagram is the best way to find me. Everything's in there. Uh, the link's in the bio. So my Instagram is Alex Irby, A-L-E-X-U-R-B-I-E. Perfect. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, man.